Hi, everyone. Now, before we start today's show, I wanted to let you know that we're dubbing the next month of Bigger Questions as Justice Month. Starting with today's show, for the next four weeks, we ask a very diverse range of guests some big questions about several contemporary social justice issues. We explore slavery, the slums of Africa, and even meet Tim Costello, one of Australia's leading social justice advocates. It's a great series, and I hope these shows get you thinking. So welcome to the first of four conversations as we kick off Justice Month. This is Bigger Questions with your host, Robert Martin. Welcome to Bigger Questions. Today's big question, why advocate for asylum seekers? We can't get a live audience today, but we can ask some big questions via some remote interviewing technology. And we're asking today's big question to Judy Wood. Judy is a Los Angeles-based immigration attorney specialising in political asylum. Her landmark court victory in 1994 opened the door for women fleeing violence to seek refuge in the United States. The decision is the subject of a motion picture titled Saint Judy, starring Michelle Monaghan and Alfred Molina. In addition to a thriving legal practice, Judy also heads up the Human Rights Project, a non-profit devoted to advocating for the rights of refugees around the world, and she joins me now, Judy... Welcome to Bigger Questions. Hello, I'm very happy to be here. That's great. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. Now, just to clarify, you're not Judge Judy, are you? No, I am not Judge Judy. I'm an attorney. But Judy, you've been practicing law for a long time. So is real-life law the same as the television legal dramas like Suits, Law & Order, Boston Legal or Perry Mason? Well, immigration law is very different than the TV shows that you see. Usually the TV shows are about criminal law. Yeah. And... um, police activity and yeah I actually was a public defender so I do know something about the practice of criminal law but immigration law is a whole different ballgame right okay yeah what's what's different about it well when I first came to Los Angeles uh, from New Mexico in New Mexico I'd been a public defender when I first came I tried to actually do the immigration cases as if we were having a real trial with the jury and in fact often I would so to speak pack the court bring witnesses so that someone was watching what was going on because I saw I observed when I first came that a lot of lawyers just kind of shuffled in and shuffled out and didn't really passionately pursue the rights of the clients and I decided very early on to apply international human rights law to the field of asylum because that's where it Mm -hmm. comes from and that's how it should be practiced it's not it should not be practiced in a vacuum where you're only reciting statutes it's really a human rights issue and the right to asylum is enshrined in the universal declaration of human rights which was written right after world war ii and also in the Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, which also came into force after World War II. Mm. And those extremely important human rights documents, it doesn't begin and end in immigration court. It goes way beyond that. Mm. So you brought some passion then to immigration law. Yes, and the most important development during the time that I practiced was I brought it to the attention of the immigration judges in Los Angeles. I I had an early case uh, about a guy from El Salvador. And this guy was a ghostwriter for a professor of his while he was going to the University of San Salvador during the Civil War in El Salvador. And he was writing and writing and writing. And all in order to gag him, to shut him up, people who were against what he was saying 
kidnapped his wife and brutally raped her. And he didn't know where she was. And he was like in a state of confusion and horror. And I was able to um, get an expert witness on international human rights law to come to the courtroom. And I asked the chief judge at the time, Judge Fong, if I could bifurcate the case and have one day devoted to international human rights law. And he, he had never heard of that. But then like 20 years later, 30 years later, I was at his retirement ceremony and he was remembering that wow. and, and, and just really happy that we had actually brought international human rights law into the domestic forum. So that was very meaningful beyond mm. one case. It, it affected all the cases. Yeah. Now, apparently earlier in your career, you had dramatic training and a brief acting career off Broadway. So did that help you uh, as a lawyer? It helped me in several ways. Um, as an actress, I was always an actress and I'm still an actress. And um, what I thought was important about being an actress was really learning the person's story. When I was a young actress, I was studying method acting and I was taught that, you know, there's a whole story behind the lines of the play. And we were taught to sort of write the character's life story. You know, what she, what she says during the scene is only the tip of the iceberg, but I learned how to really fill in the blanks. And so when I went to court, it was important for me for the judge to feel and know the person as a human being with a past, a present, and a future, not just what's standing in front of them with a story that they may have heard 10 other times from 10 different people in, in a different room with a different lawyer. So I, I made it alive when mm. it came alive. But the most important thing in being an immigration lawyer, especially with asylum, is to listen, to hear the story. Go on. The harm that women suffer is usually very different than that of men. Usually men, women, in, and mostly in, in third world countries, where they're leaving a, an impossible situation and they're, they're moving on faith, you know, that somehow they'll find a better life, they have suffered a different kind of reality. They might not have been a labor union organizer. They may not have been a political figure. But on the other hand, they may have been raped. They may have been brutalized. They may have been... In, uh, subjected to horrifying domestic violence. These are the realities of women's lives all over the world. So they can't be dismissed. Mm. They need some, they need an advocate in many ways. Yeah. Yes. Now, Judy, you specialize in political asylum and immigration law. Now it doesn't seem a particularly glamorous area of law, but what made you want to work in political asylum? Well, there's a lot of reasons. Um, I was born into a Jewish family. I was called by Jesus early on in my life, but as a young Jewish girl growing up in Brooklyn, my mother would take me to visit my aunt Zelda almost every Saturday. And my aunt Zelda escaped from Auschwitz and she had the numbers on her arm. Wow. And she would tell me the story about how she had dug a tunnel, dug a tunnel with her fingernails and escaped from Auschwitz. And she still had the dirt under her fingernails. But what was so amazing about my Aunt Zelda is that her face glowed. She was never angry. She was always full of love, light, compassion. And she was a total inspiration to me from the time I was a very small girl. That was the first. And then I really, really became acquainted with the Bible. And in the Bible, mm -hmm. in the, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, God instructs us to welcome the stranger because the stranger may be an angel, an angel in our midst, to welcome an angel. 
and to welcome a stranger. And how we treat the outcast, how we treat the stranger really defines who we are as human beings and who we are as countries. And these people who leave their countries and seek a better life are very much like the Jews who left Egypt. I mean, the Jews are very, even though they were oppressed, they were comfortable. They had food, they had a roof over their head. Some of them had really nice lives. Moses was the son of a pharaoh, even though he wasn't actually the son, he was treated like the son. People get up and leave because they have faith in something. They move forward. And this faith is the faith of something that goes beyond the present condition and evolves. And so I mm. think of these people as sort of biblical characters. So for you, there's obviously some personal inspiration from your family, but also there's some spiritual inspiration as well for why you do what you do. Absolutely. I, I draw enormous strength, uh, especially from the book of Hebrews. Faith is the evidence of things unseen. That's my favorite verse in the Bible. And prior mm. to having this interview with you today, I read the whole chapter, chapter 11 of Hebrews, and they list all the wonderful things that people just got up and left where they were and went somewhere else to do something else without any assurance. They didn't have an insurance policy. Okay, get up and leave and, you know, you'll have a two-car garage and a turkey in the pot. No, that's not at all. It was completely unknown, and yet they moved on <laughs> in faith. And, and that's the evolution of human beings. And so as the recipients, mm. as, the, as the hosts of these asylum seekers, we have to open our hearts, our minds, and our spirits to what they actually have to offer us. I've, I've been so enriched by this mm -hmm. practice uh, spiritually. I mean, I've learned so much from, from the people who come to me yeah. asking for help. Mm. Now, there is one particularly significant case involving a female asylum seeker from Afghanistan, which has been made into a movie. So, Judy, can you tell us a bit about this particular case? Yes. This woman left Afghanistan because the Taliban took over the country. Um, after the Soviet Union left Afghanistan, women were put in a much worse position than they had been. In, under the Soviet Union, women had a pretty good life in Afghanistan. They were able to vote. They were able to wear whatever they wanted. They could wear makeup. They didn't have to cover their face. They could uh, be judges. I have a very good friend who was a judge in Afghanistan. They could be teachers, lawyers, whatever. When the Taliban took over, this was all outlaws. You couldn't do anything. And so the character in the movie, she was a teacher and she was able to impart her knowledge that her mother had given her because her mother didn't grow up under the Taliban. The Taliban came in when you know my client was oppressed and um, she was able to do something but then she was punished and she was um, followed and and pursued by the taliban men who followed her actually they followed her from afghanistan to india arrested her put her in a in a horrible cell with cold water on the floor and abused her um as the movie shows and she was, it was very, very horrifying to mm. her because she, she was a dignified woman who was able to impart knowledge to people. And suddenly uh, she was treated um, much worse than an animal would be treated. And when I met her, uh, mm. she was detained in, 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 a, in a detention center in California. And she was put on these drugs. Uh, I believe it was Thorazine. And so she kind of lost her intellectual acumen, although she was brilliant. And um, there was no reason for her to be on psychotropic drugs. And I did advocate for her to be released and to get off those drugs. And 
eventually we were able to win the case and I was just so happy about her being able to find her freedom mm. and to be part of that process. Mm. What were the specific challenges you had to overcome uh, to win that case? Well, the most important uh, aspect of any asylum case is credibility. The judge must believe you uh, and believe that what you're saying is true and that what happened really happened and that it's unlikely that you'll be able to uh, go back to your country and escape from persecution. Mm. So I didn't do the case mm. in the court. I, so I didn't have complete control over it. I got it when it went to the Ninth Circuit. But I was able to, by studying all the history in, in Afghanistan and, and the, the course of events, show the court that, in fact, it was much more likely and quite probable that she would be pursued in the future as well as she was pursued in the past because the immigration judge actually made a, a finding that it was not probable. What happened to her was not probable. And I was able to argue that indeed it was not only probable, it was much more likely than not that what happened to her happened to her being a woman at that time when Taliban were taking over. As you know, all over the world, women suffer. Mm. And women mm. are subjected to honor killings. In Jordan, just two weeks ago, a, a father murdered his daughter just because the daughter was seeing some other man. Just not even having, you know, some full-on affair with him, just seeing him. The father murdered her and was happy about it and wasn't punished. So these mm. atrocities go on and on and on, mm. and they're not punished, and they're, they're considered as, well, that's the culture. Don't interfere with the culture. So one of the big challenges with the political asylum is the challenge to prove a real danger from persecution and not just someone who's looking for a, an opportunist, looking for better economic outcomes. So how can you tell the difference between those whose case is genuine and those whose aren't? Well, I spend a lot of time with my clients. I meet them, I see them physically, and there's a lot of body language that happens. And you can usually tell by a person's uh, demeanor and how they express themselves whether they're telling you the truth or not. In addition to being an actress, I was a portrait artist for many years. And I, I really study faces mm -hmm. and expressions. And I read a person, I read a person's face, so to speak. And we all wear a mask, but you can see through the mask. You know, now we're all wearing, really literally wearing masks, but we all have, you know, a, a facade, but you can get through that facade and you can understand what's really happening to this person. And I always, when I meet a woman from a third world country, ask her if she has actually been raped because it is very very likely that she has been. And many women, understandably, are very ashamed and afraid to admit this, but it's a very important factor in their mm. case as is brought out in the movie. Mm. Your case was a landmark decision. So what changed as a result of the decision um, from the case that you won? Well, I think the judges began to recognize that um, women, in fact, do have credible claims to asylum, that rape is a tool of war, that rape is a crime against humanity, and that oppression against women is not something that should be tolerated and condoned by civilized countries. So I think it goes beyond asylum, but it definitely impacts on the, the law of asylum. But now we've gone retrograde in the U.S. with this mm. case, matter of AB, which the prior Attorney General session said, well, women who have suffered domestic violence don't have a right to asylum. But he's wrong. They do. Because these women are battered or raped or humiliated or degraded or dehumanized. And if, if that's not asylum, what is? If that's not persecution, what mm. is? 
So, Judy, your, your story is obviously a very powerful one and uh, one that sounds worthy to be turned into a movie, which, in fact, it has been. So how did you react when you were approached about making a movie about your story? Well, first of all, I didn't know about it until it was presented to me um, after it was written. What happened was I had a law clerk in my office who had gone to the same uh, law school as I went to. And uh, I was kind of nurturing him. I, in fact, I'd call him at six in the morning and we'd go riding up to the, the courthouse, which is in the movie. Uh, and I would, you know, kind of nurture him and mentor him. And um, I didn't know that he was writing a movie until it was, until the producer and the director came to my office and asked me for permission. <laughs> so how did you react then when that happened, when they, when they turned up? I was very honored and very, very happy about it because I think it will educate the public on, on, on what happens to women in the world mm. and, and how their stories are, are. See, the worst part of it is a woman is tortured or whatever happens to her in her own country. And then she comes here and she's not believed. That's like throwing salt in the wound. She's not believed. And even if she is believed, the judge, and I've heard this over and over again, was, I don't care. You don't fit into a particular social group. That's the buzzword now, PSG. You don't, and there's no nexus between your PSG and the persecution. It's all this legalese that's basically used to just shut them up and put them away and throw them away. And we're trying to reverse that. No, let's hear you. Let's hear your story. Let's give you relief. Mm. So the film Saint Judy is in cinemas nationally in Australia from August 20. Uh, you can go to saintjudymovie.com.au to find cinemas. So Judy, how accurate then is the film? Well, the film is very accurate about the woman's story, but I didn't start the, um, mm -hmm. the representation of this lady until the case got to the Ninth Circuit. Right, okay. So did you have much to do with the production of the film? Well, actually I was on the set a few times. Um, I don't think that I influenced the writing of it that much. I think that I had a, a rather profound influence on Michelle Monaghan's performance. Um, I am mm -hmm. also a poet, and I would bring my poetry to Michelle and read it to her. Uh, how do you think that influenced Michelle? Well, I, I basically opened my heart and my soul through my poetry to Michelle. Mm. You know, I didn't come on as this high, high, you know, lawyer, you know, I just want as a, a sensitive artist, more, more of a sensitive artist poet than a lawyer. And I think that she responded to that. And, and I think that's how she played the role. Mm. Well, she has a very strong performance and it's also, it's a very different role for her compared to something like Mission Impossible, which she's, she's played in the past. But I think she played it as if she was an artist and a poet. I mean, she played it as a soulful person, and, and you could so What I thought was important was uh, the way she played it. She showed her vulnerability. I love it that Colum, uh, Common was the, the uh, male protect, the, uh, the DA in the case. Actually, you call him trial attorney. Mm. And um, I was so honored, you know, to meet him because I, I really actually love his music, and I've read his books. And I thought it showed her vulnerability you know, mm -hmm. as a woman and her whole situation with her son and the ex-husband and, and, and the relationship with the other, the male common guy, uh, you know, who was very attractive and very appealing to her. And in a way, she wanted to have some sort of relationship with him because he was very kind to her. And her uh, another funny part of the movie that's really true is the thing with ketchup. Mm -hmm. I really, <laughs> I, really, I love ketchup. And whenever... <laughs> you love ketchup. <laughs> so you even have ketchup on Chinese, is that right? <laughs> Whatever. <laughs>
ketchup on it. <laughs> so how do you feel about that? The, the title of the movie is Saint Judy. So how do you feel being identified as a saint? Well, in no way, shape or form am I a saint. I'm not a saint. I'm not a saint. I'm not going to give you a long litany of all my earthly sins, but I'm not a saint. However, I do have faith. And I, I would say that I live by faith and that um, I really, to the extent that I'm capable, give my life to God. And I do this job as my mission. I, this, the reason I do this is because I feel that I've been directed by God to do this, specifically to do this. So, I mean, that's not saying. Now, you've been described as a deeply spiritual person, so your Christian faith then is, is very important to your journey then. Well, I try to follow what I believe is God's instruction. And I believe that one of the most important instructions for all of us is what good does it do a person if he gains the whole world and he loses his soul? And I believe that our soul is our connection with the divine. And that's very important to stay in, in tune with your connection to the divine. It doesn't matter how much money you have. The money can disappear in a moment. The stock market can crash. Your, your family can have coronavirus. Who knows what's going to happen? We don't know. As exhibited in our daily lives now all over the world, we have no idea what's going to happen next. But your relationship with God and your um, connection to your own soul is an important mm. thing. And this work actually helps me in that regard. Mm. How so? How does it how does it help you? Because that's the level I deal on. Um, when I'm preparing a client for testimony, I very much try to connect with the soul of the judge. I mean, it's a sort of an intuitive thing. It, a lot of this doesn't exist in a law book. And the judges are human and they feel mm. when you're telling the truth. And it's very moving. I've had judges literally weep in the courtroom instrument of God's will. Mm, that's very powerful. Now, you've already mentioned there are there are a couple of parts of the Bible which resonate for you. Uh, and you've mentioned the, the verse from Hebrews, which speaks about faith. Um, Hebrews 11.1 1 says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance for what we do not see. So how does that drive you? Well, it's a very lawyer-like phrase. Faith is the evidence of things unseen. <laughs> so the way I... Uh, the way... The way I approach a case, actually, is I decide, well, what is the best outcome for this person? What is the right thing, the righteous outcome of this case? And then I look for authority to to bolster that. I don't do it the other way around, reading all the cases that are going to deny the case, that make it impossible. I, I first, I, I, just, I find what is the best thing that could happen? What is What is the goal, the unseen goal? and then find the evidence. Mm. Not make it up, but find it. I mean, these people are leaving a situation that's intolerable, right? Otherwise they don't leave. People don't just get up and leave unless it's intolerable. And mm. so what is it that's intolerable? And what is it that you want to find? Mm. That's important. It's not just why did you leave? What do you expect to find here? That's the other side of the paradigm. What is it that you're looking for? Why do you think it's going to be different here? Mm. In other words, you're not simply leaving Egypt to go to another Egypt. You're looking for another reality mm. that you're creating. And the, th the beauty of it is that the client, mm. the lawyer, the judge can create a better reality for the future for everyone. Mm. 
Well, that's, that's faith, I suppose, in some sense. Um, so were there times when your faith was unsure, though, as you were advocating for certain clients, etc.? Well, of course, I've been wounded. I'm, I'm very vulnerable. I'm a woman. I've been, you know, subjected to a lot of the things that other women have been subjected to. I get my feelings hurt. And sometimes I'm, you know, unable to quite face the day, although I do. But there are times when I feel very wounded by what's going on in the world and by the injustices that are all around us glaring. But I continue to hope and to have, I really do have faith that in fact, another phrase from the Bible is in the beginning was the word. And so I believe that God created the world out of faith and that he, God is watching his faith unfold, but watching God's imagination unfold into some sort of reality. And it's our, it's our, Mm. it's our, it's our duty as part of the contract with God, which is exemplified by the rainbow to actually live up to the the dream you know when in hebrews they talk about noah in faith noah mm. built this ark he didn't know that what was going to happen he didn't know for sure there was going to be a flood or whatever and he did it in faith and in a sense we have to do that too we all have to build our ark and be ready to for the new world that is constantly being created mm. Now, defending the rights of the poor and the needy is a theme throughout the scriptures, which you've already talked about. Proverbs 31, 8 to 9 says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. So how do you resonate with this scripture and your work in defending the rights of the poor and needy? Well, that is the meaning of my life, really. I mean, I follow Isaiah where he says that I don't care about your ceremonies, your full moon, your braided hair, your earrings and this and that. What I care about is that you protect the widows and the orphans. Mm. And, and then Jesus repeats it when he says, what do you do to the least of these you do to me? Every day when I come to work, I think of that. What you do for the least of these, the person who walks into your office with nothing, what you do for that person is the, what you're doing for Christ. Mm. So do you get weary advocating for change when the problems just seem too enormous or too difficult? Occasionally, but it's also very energizing, especially when you win. I mean, when you win a person's asylum case, you like grow wings and you fly around for a few days. (laughs) (laughs) That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Judy, for talking today. It's been wonderful to hear your stories and to be able to hear some of your reflections. So Judy, why advocate for asylum seekers? I think that we have to become human. I don't think that we definitely are behaving as human beings, even though we're born in a human body. I think that the way to become human is to become compassionate and to open your mind, your soul, your spirit to those who need help, to those who call out for refuge. You don't know when you will need that help. You do not know when. You may need it tomorrow. You may need it next year. We all really are all one. And we really are in this together. I mean, that phrase is being bandied about now on every broadcast and every TV and every radio. We're alone in this together. Well, we are. We really are together. And what affects one affects everybody. So I think we have a duty to open our hearts. Mm. 
Let me leave you with some of the Bible's answer to the big question, why advocate for asylum seekers from Proverbs 31.9? Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. I look forward to you joining us next time for Bigger Questions. Thanks very much to our guest today, Judy Wood. I'm very humbled and honoured. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Rob Martin here, host of Bigger Questions. Thanks for listening to the show, and I hope you enjoyed hearing more of Judy's story. If you'd like to see the movie St. Judy at the cinema, check out stjudymovie.com.au for all the cinema details. Now, as I mentioned, it's Justice Month on Bigger Questions, and to continue the exploration of the big questions of seeking justice in our world today, you might be, might be interested in a special event, The Edge, hosted by City Bible Forum on September 15th around Australia called Let Justice Roll Down. The speakers are Indigenous leader Brooke Prentice and historian Dr. John Dixon, and they'll be exploring the possibility of seeing justice in our lifetime. And you can get more details and register at citybibleforum.org. Now, also a reminder that at 9pm on Monday nights, we share the latest Bigger Questions show as a Facebook premiere on the Bigger Questions Facebook page. So if you miss the broadcast or the podcast, you can get another opportunity to engage with the big questions raised by the show. So like the Facebook page if you haven't already, and why not invite others to watch with you? Comment and ask your questions. So if you've enjoyed this show, head over to the Facebook page and invite others to watch with you at 9pm on Monday night. And let's get more people exploring the big questions of life. And finally, if you want to invest in bigger thinking, maybe you could support us on Patreon. We've had a number of new patrons join us recently, so thanks specifically to Edwin, Michelle, and Glenn. We really appreciate your support. So even for as little as US $1 a podcast, you can help create better dialogue around the bigger questions of life. Go to patreon.com slash biggerquestions. Anyway, thanks again for listening. Look forward to joining you again next week as we continue Justice Month. And remember to keep asking the bigger questions.